Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Just answer this question for me as best you can. What were you doing September 13 of last year? I can't remember. It's not good enough. (laughs) That is not good enough. My name is Elodis Salas Jr. I was uh, wrongly convicted of first degree uh, premeditated murder when I was 15 years old. Uh, and I was sentenced to 32 years, nine months. What do you guys think of gangs? They're awesome, man. They're awesome. Hey, we think that. I would say 94, 95, and 96 is when that's when they started kind of shooting at us and then it became really serious, you know, these guys are actually trying to kill us, you know. Just because you wanted to get, you know, eyes off for you or whatever reason, you took his life away from him. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part two of my chat with Evaristo Salas Jr., Arrested at just 15 for murder, Evaristo grew up inside a US prison. And now at 42, that is where he remains, serving time for a crime he says he's innocent of. In our previous episode, Junior talked me through the area of Sunnyside in which he grew up, explaining that towards the end of the 80s and the early 90s, Gangs started to become an ever-growing presence in the community. As a young man who came from a broken home, living with his stepfather, who was working 16-hour days, left him searching for belonging, essentially for another family. Unfortunately, he would find that in a gang. At first, he tells me it was all stupid kids, running around, breaking windows, tagging and getting into fistfights. But it wasn't long before it escalated. Knives and guns started appearing, and life for Junior and his friends became much more dangerous, to the point he would have to plan his every move outside of his home. There'll be people listening to this going, well, you know, what? you, you were in a gang, you were, you were playing up, you've already said you were smashing windows and, you know, doing stupid stuff, so kind of you made your bed, you line it type situation. Now, I'm not saying that's my opinion, I'm saying that there'll be people listening with that opinion, you know, and there'll be people listening going, why didn't you just leave the gang and why didn't you just stop doing all that crazy stuff you were doing? 
in the beginning it was it was all fun and games because it was just you know all you know it's adrenaline rush this kind of stuff that kind of stuff but when it got serious and you know when you started seeing these kind of the level of violence that it was going there's only so much even as a child you can take you start to think about it, especially when you're thinking about you know death every day like am i going to survive today am i gonna i gotta worry about this i gotta worry about that you start to question the choices you've made now your mind is not developed enough to actually or, or you don't have enough experience to actually look at things in an objective way and think okay this is what i need to do this is what i've been doing this is what i need to do to change because mentally you're not there you don't have the experience in life to kind of judge the situation in that kind of way that doesn't mean that every day i didn't feel like i made a really bad choice you know, I have to find a way to move away from this lifestyle, you know. And anybody that would say, well, yes, you kind of brought it on yourself, you know, you did this, you did that, I would agree with them. Mm -hmm. I did. Just like they would, I would look at me as being one of the suspects in that because, look, a bunch of delinquent kids, we got a bunch of windows broken, somebody stole some beer over here, somebody... Logically, you're going to go to the people that are in those neighborhoods and say, well, yeah, I see these people walking around. And then we treated them with disrespect, they treated us with disrespect, and, you know, we kind of brought that on ourselves, you know. So anybody that would say, well, you know, you know, like you said, you made your bed line, and I would agree with them to a certain extent. Yeah. Because I don't know what kind of, what level of frustration the officers were dealing with at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe their budget, their budget was restrained, or, you know, that, that they didn't have enough funds to cover everything, and all they're seeing is an uptick in crime, and they got to protect the community, you know. So if they see a bunch of gangbanging kids, you know, they got to be harsh and be that way with them in order to kind of get control of the situation. I can understand that kind of mentality. I can even agree with it to a certain extent. But when you take that kind of to another level and you start saying, well, none of these guys, you know, can be saved from this lifestyle. Or you stop sympathizing with the struggles that they, they, they have in their lives and say, you know what, they're all gang members. They all deserve to go to prison. That's when it changes. That's when you've crossed the line by saying, you know what, you've gone beyond, you know, your duty is the same. Well, I need to protect the community. You have to give every individual, you know, not the benefit of doubt, even though they say that's what they knew, but at the very least, try to understand what they're dealing with and what they're, and what they're struggling with. You know? And understand that as a child, you know, it's from 12 to 14, 15, you're never going to make the best choices because you just don't have the mentality or the experience to make those choices. And I would have loved to say, you know what, Dad, we need to get out of here. I messed up. I, I, you know, I, I hung around the wrong people. We need to go to another town. The problem is my dad can't just find another job somewhere else because guess what? He came from Mexico. He doesn't have the skills. He doesn't have, you know, the, the, the right education to sit there and just uproot himself. Plus, he can't just uproot his, your entire family just because, you know, you've made some poor choices. And going back to what I was telling you about that gang that, you know, tapped at my window with a knife. I mean, I was terrified, but I couldn't go to my parents and say, hey, guys, uh, we got to move um, because some shit's happened with these guys and, you know, I, I'm terrified. Can we can we sell our house and, and move? It just doesn't work like that. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't. And then the, the second thing, you know, is, is you know, is uh, that I think about leaving the gang. Yes, every day. There was even a time that I came to my friends, and, and this was the worst part about it because they had, they had just killed one of my friends in front of me. They shot him in the back, and he died right there in front of me. We buried him. I carried his casket and I carried his casket and everything. And at that point in my life, I didn't want to be a part of the gang anymore. I stopped wearing the colors. I stopped hanging around with them. And the worst part about it is when they seen me doing that, instead of having sympathy, instead of saying, well, we understand, they looked at it and they became hostile to me. Yeah. They started calling me weak. Oh, you're this or you're that. Now, 
not only do I got all these other individuals from my rival gangs that dislike me and the things I did to them or the, fight, the fights and all that stuff that are probably going to attack me anytime they see me, but now I got the people that are my, supposed to be my friends, and I say that in air quotes, now they're against me. Now what choices do I have, you know? That was the dilemma. And what hurt me most about it because I didn't see that coming. I was like, I thought they would understand. Why are you guys calling me names now? Why are you guys threatening to jump? There was times where I thought I was going to jump by them because I had told them that I didn't want to be a part of this stuff anymore. I thought they would say, oh, it ain't no problem, man. You're a friend. You know, it's all right. If you don't want it. it wasn't like that. It was like, oh, you're weak. Mm. You know, you're scared. You ain't a part of us You're anymore. turning your back oh, on we're them. Gonna jump you. Yeah, and it became, they became hostile. It wasn't a mentality that, oh, you want to do better for yourself. It was a mentality that, oh, you're abandoning us. Yeah. You're supposed to protect us, too, and you're abandoning us because you're scared, you know. And then you become almost ostracized by the people that are the only people that you know. And that was the struggle and that was the dilemma. But I did make kind of attempts to try to push it away if I stopped wearing the colors. But by then, it didn't matter because I didn't need to wear the colors to be identified as that gang. You know? It was already my identity. Yeah. And it, even if I would have left it, I can't go up to my rival and say, you know what? I left the gang. Sorry that I, you know, maybe I jumped you with this time with this other guy or we got in a fight over here. And, and, and that, they're going to be like, oh, no, we're going to get ours, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you ain't got no one to protect you now? You know, so it's that kind of back and forth. And for people that don't live in those in that environment, it's easy for them to see it like that because it, the solution seems so simple. Yeah, of course. So simple. But it's not. When you look at when you look at the details of everything, when you're in, in, in that moment, it's like you almost feel trapped. As Junior mentions there, at the age of just 15, he would watch his closest friend get shot and die in front of him. He talks me through that day. Yeah, so we, uh, it was my friend and he, uh, so he, I met him like I think two or three years prior. He was a little bit older than me. And uh, he started actually being a part of the game because I was a part of it. And that, that was the worst part about it. And I still feel a lot of guilt for it. And he was, you know, we, we spent every day together. He was always at my house. My dad actually liked him, which my dad never liked any of my friends. But he would allow him to the house. He didn't allow the other ones into him. And uh, he was just, like, real respectful, cool, funny. And we, all, we were just, we are literally like brothers. We were together every single day. We got in fights with other rival gangs, all that stuff. And he wasn't, well, he wasn't part of a gang for a while. But then he decided, well, I want to be a part of it. And he became a part of it. And then, uh, you know, we did what we do. You know, we you know, ran around, you know, you know, went to each other's houses all the time, you know, and just did stupid things. Some other uh, friends of mine that were part of the game, they came to my house and they were like, hey, we're trying to, uh, they were asking me if I had any weed. Basically, you got any, well, you got any weed? I said, no, I don't have any. They were like, oh, well, we gotta go, let's go talk to your friend Robert. Maybe he can find, maybe he has someone that we can buy a little, you know, you know, a couple of joints from or whatever. You know what I mean? So I was like, well, let's go. So we walked over to Robert's house. He lived across, you know, town, maybe a couple blocks away. We headed over there and he was like, no, I don't have, he was there with his girlfriend. He's like, no, I don't, I don't have any, bro. You know what I mean? So we couldn't find any. So we decided, it was about eight or nine of us, we decided, well, let's go to the, the store and let's just spend our money buy something to eat so robert or his name was robert he wasn't going to come with us he was like no I'm, I'm here with my girlfriend so i'm just going to stay here and we started nagging him like come on bro it's just right there it's not it's, it's like two houses down from here we're just going to buy i told him we'll, we'll buy a burrito or something so, all right. so we headed over there when we got to the store um there was a a rival gang members there in the car they pulled up there's like four uh across the intersection they pulled up and they stopped and they started yelling things at us right there but i had went into the store and then the eight guys I was with, they started attacking. They attacked the, uh, the car. They tried to fight with the guys in the car. Well, one of them had a gun. And he pulled it out, waved it around. Uh, nobody kind of responded to it. I don't think anybody's seen it. And then he shot one time, and they sped off. And 
I came out the store when I heard the shot, and I see my friend lying there on the ground. And I ran up to him, he was making a weird sound. That hit him in the back and pierced his heart. But he was still alive, and he was making this kind of weird sound. And I was trying, we are trying to, you know, we didn't know what to do. We were trying, you know, we're, we couldn't even see there was, we didn't know he got shot in the back, so we couldn't see any kind of wound in the front. He wasn't bleeding or nothing. And he just wouldn't respond to us. And then there happened to be a cop that just pulled in. And so the ambulance got there within two or three minutes, and he was already, he was already dead. My sister, I think, called the hospital and said I passed away. And I just went home, and I see my dad right there. And my dad knows I'm no good, and I told him I just walked in the room, and I told dad, they just killed Robert. And I broke down crying, and my dad started grabbing me, started crying too. And, and and it was just like, and when that happened, that it became really real. And it was like, I, you know, this was my best friend. I was with him every single day for about three or four years. Not only that, but he only became a part of the game because I was a part of it. Yeah. So there was a guilt, guilt that came yeah. with it. And I know his dad, I know his sisters, and I had to look at him at the funeral. You know, and if they would have thought, well, you're responsible, they would have been they, they would have been right to a certain extent because they could have hated me. They didn't, but they could have hated me because I was the one that he started hanging around with, and then he became a part of the game. And that's a guilt that I, that, that I carry with me for my entire life. You know. So what age were you guys when this happened? I was I was 15 and he was 17. Watching someone die is hopefully something that not many of us will ever have to experience, let alone watching your best friend get shot in front of you and take his last breath. This was now a reality for a 15-year-old Evaristo. The perpetrator would be caught and charged, and Junior would eventually bump into him in a jail cell. Was anyone arrested for, for his shooting? Uh, yeah, he, uh, somebody was arrested, I think it was four days after, four or five days afterwards, he was arrested for it, and he was a juvenile too, I guess he was 17. And, and do you uh, know if it was the actual person who shot him, or...? Yeah, yeah, it was actually the one who did it, yeah. Do we know what happened yeah, to him? Said, uh, I guess he, got, he, he confessed or something. He, he got sentenced to... Uh, I actually ran into him a few times in prison, but he's already out now. He got sentenced to 30 years. He did 24, 24 years on it, and got out, I think got 24 years, and then got out on the, on the juvenile parole. And this was, he got out, like, I think three or four years. Four years ago, he got out. So you say you ran into him a couple of times inside prison. What, what was that like the first time you saw him? Well, the first time, I didn't... I didn't the worst part about it, so when I got... They put me in a juvenile for three months, and then they declined me as an adult. Basically charged me and said that I'm going to be tried as an adult. So they took me out of the juvenile, put me in the county jail, which is, you know, house for adults. But they segregated the juveniles. And so they, t- they put us in, I- in, in isolation. And so they threw me in a tank, and there he was, the person who killed my best friend. Wow. And I didn't know it at the time, but I walk in, and, I, and, and he kind of introduced himself. And I say, uh, I said, what are you in here for? He said, oh, I, um, he said, I accidentally, I accidentally killed somebody. That's what he said. Right when he said that, they, the officers came running in and they called me out of the tank. They said, hey, are you all right? So-and-so is here for doing this and doing that. And I was like, no, I'm all right. Because you, you can't tell them that you're not because then you'd be labeled as you're, you know, you're telling or whatever. So you just got to face it. So they put me back in there and I said I was good. And he just starts telling me about 
it was an accident, you know what I mean? I was just trying to scare him. He didn't know I was there. He just said, I'm trying to scare him, you know, they were rushing the car and I just, I fired a shot, thought that would scare everybody. I didn't mean to hit him and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh. And he came at it, the way he explained it, he was actually crying when he was telling me that too, you know. And he was just saying how sorry he was and that kind of stuff. And then when he realized who I was, he was and I was from Sunnyside too, he really started, I didn't mean to do it. You know, I, I, like I said, I was just trying to scare. I didn't, I didn't want to. I stayed six months in there before I was found uh, uh, found guilty and then sent to prison. He went before me, and he got he was in, they offered him a plea bargain of twelve years or ten years or something, and he didn't want to take it, you know, because said he didn't mean to do it, and that, and so he ended up not he ended up taking the trial and he loses, um, you know, and and they sent him to thirty years, and he was Hispanic too, and they sent him to thirty years, and he was Jewish all the time, and they sent him off to prison, and then I, you know, get sent off, you know, get found guilty, you know, six seven months later, and then I get sent off. And I don't see him until maybe six years later, I actually see him in the Washington State Penitentiary. And when I see him there, he's changed in a, different, in a lot of ways. He, he became a Christian. He renounced his gang membership. I mean, obviously he was really you know, remorseful about what he did. Mm. He would apologize to me if he see me again. So it changed the whole dynamic because I came at it with a certain hatred for the person who killed my best friend. But then here was this person that was you know, remorseful he wasn't playing the role. He was actually remorseful. Mm. And, and he would never stopped being remorseful about it. And then he changed his entire life and renounced the gang stuff within prison too, which is hard to you know, do. Fix. You got to be a strong man to do that. Mm. Yeah, you got to be a strong man to do that. And he never, you know, he, he always maintained that he was sorry about it and that he wished he never did it. And then he gave himself and, and lived the life, you know, for God and for Christ. You know I mean? So that, that, changed everything for me it wasn't i wasn't mad at him anymore like that we even spoke a few times and it was for me it was strange because you know like you know i was changing as a person too because i was like well you know i, I got to show some kind of forgiveness you know and and my dad did the same thing i was telling i told my dad about it and everything and my dad was like look you know I, you know people make mistakes you know you, sometimes you guys are in those moments and sometimes it just you make you do things and you don't realize you do them you know and so so that 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 was that was that was a an experience you know Yes, to say the least. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll discuss the events that would change Junior's life forever. I told him, look, I didn't have anything to do with this. I don't know who's saying what, but I'm telling you that around. And I'm already in tears because this is freaking me out because I can see by his demeanor he's not playing. 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Just a quick reminder that One Minute Remaining now has a subscription option available via Patreon or Apple Plus. Now, I would, however, like to assure you that the show you enjoy each week is and will always remain free. There's been some concerns over the last couple of weeks from certain people about the subscription service, but this is purely if you would like the option of getting some bonus monthly content, as well as gain access to these episodes early and ad-free. If you don't, then that is totally fine. And you can continue listening to the show each week for free. The thing that actually amazes me about you, Junior, is you, you, I know you're older now, uh, you know, you're in your 40s. You come across as a very calm individual. I'm, assume, I'm, I'm assuming that's taken you a while to... Because were, were would, you, would you consider you were an angry kid? Oh, yeah, I was, I was an angry and explosive kid, yeah. Yeah, and I mean that—that that would be because of you know what you went through. So, yeah. so it wouldn't take much for you to get in a fight, I would imagine, when you were a kid. No, it was yeah, it was. It took very little, you know, back in the days, and you know, I was just so uh, so emotional about everything, you know. And I I didn't really understand that until later on in life when I, you know, I had to I forced to look at myself and kind of reflect on the person I, I was and, and and was becoming and, and how I wanted. And that came as I grew older, you know, and then it became like. Wow, you know, I mean, I I can be a little out there, you know, and 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 it was just like I said, all all that was was just it was just it was bottled it was bottled up trauma. That's all it was, you know. It was trauma that I hadn't dealt with, trauma with my mother, the traumatic events I dealt with as as a child growing up, and, and the way I lived and and the, and the consequences that, that came with that lifestyle, and I just didn't know how to filter it in a positive way or how to release it. And so when I released it, I always released it on the wrong people. Usually the ones closest to me you always said the wrong things, you know, and I just didn't have the ability or the discipline not only to see my actions in real time, but to actually, you know, kind of discipline myself not to be that way. And that came later in life, a lot later in life, you know, and it was through a lot of bad choices I made, you know, so. Uh, I think, you know, we all make bad choices when when we're younger. I mean, I know I made plenty of young, you know, bad choices when I was younger. I mean, I was drinking at the age of 13 and, you know, doing stupid stuff and, um, you know, I, I've I've been behind the wheel of a car when I've been drunk, and you know things that I'm certainly not proud of. And I, I'm just the only difference between you know me and someone like yourself who's in prison is is luck. You know that I didn't end up hurting someone by accident, or you know. And I, I know you. We will talk about the crime you were convicted of. But what I'm saying is that you know we all make stupid decisions when we're younger. I think most people would make stupid decisions when they're younger. Um, yeah. Obviously, other some people make bigger silly decisions. I think most people when they're younger are just one, one bad decision away from getting themselves in trouble. I always look at it this way too. I'll say one more thing, but I always look at it. It's, uh, I always say, well, at the age that I understood what the difference between right and wrong, I became responsible for those choices. 
Now the argument can be made, I didn't under, fully understand the consequences of those choices. Yeah. And there's where there's a little bit, you know, like, okay, well, then you can kind of, I knew what this is wrong, but I didn't understand the consequences and the repercussions of what was going to come from that bad choice. You know, I wasn't mentally, you know, there yet. So. And, and no one is at that age, you know, no, no one is. They just, <laughs> yeah, they're, exactly. they're, you know, when you're younger, you think you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof and you don't think about, yeah. you know, but and when you're older, it's then, you know, when, you know, I, myself now, I've got, I've got two kids and I look at them and it terrifies me, you know, it terrifies me that, they're going to probably do what I did when I was a kid. Ho- I hope not. You know, you hope that they, they yeah. won't. But, you know, you know, there's every chance they will. And it just, you look at it now and you, you just want to be able to grab them and say to them, you know, don't do what I did. Don't be an idiot. But then your, my parents said that to me when I was a kid, you know, and it just, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's this never-ending cycle of, you know, well, you understand when you're older and when you're a kid, you're like, oh, whatever, shut up, old person. And then you get older yeah. and you're like, they were so right, you know. They were, if only I could go back and tell younger me now, don't be a fool. And, and hindsight's a wonderful thing, you know. Um, if we could all, if we, yeah, could, if, yeah. if we all had a crystal ball, you know. It's November 14, 1995, 6.20pm on a cold night in Sunnyside, Washington. Ophelia Gonzalez is driving. Her partner, 24-year-old Jose Aurelio, is in the passenger seat and their baby is in the back. Ophelia parks the car and gets out with the baby. All of a sudden, two shots ring out, hitting Jose twice in the head and killing him instantly. There are multiple witnesses who are around at the time of this shooting, which takes place right opposite a number of homes. You have three kids, a 12-year-old girl and two brothers who are nine and 10, playing in a yard of a home just opposite where the shooting happens. You also have another witness who is in the balcony of their home nearby. The witnesses seem to have conflicting opinions as to the age and appearance of the shooter. One witness would say the shooter was white, another that they were Mexican, and another the shooter had a light complexion. More troubling is the fact that half the witnesses say they believe the shooter looked young, but the other half believe the shooter to be a much older person. The gentleman on the balcony says the shooter looked to him to be an older person who was over 18. The younger children who were nearby all said they saw an adult. Not only this, but a number of witnesses also say that they hear an argument taking place prior to the shooting. Some claiming that they heard a lady yelling, with one saying they specifically heard the lady shout, leave him alone, Ricardo. Jose's partner, Ophelia, says that she managed to get a quick look at the shooter and is subsequently shown a book of potential suspects. And at the time, she's unable to pick anyone out from the lineup she's shown. This will become an important factor later on in our story. Six months would pass by. So far, the sergeant in charge of the investigation, Jim Rivard, has had no leads whatsoever on the case. Until one day, a chance tip-off from a police informant, Bill Braun, puts Evaristo Salas as the number one suspect. Braun tells Rivard that he overheard Junior bragging to friends about committing this shooting, and police go and pick him up. This is the day after he's just buried his best friend. Well, 
when it began for me was on the 22nd of May when they came at 9 in the morning. I said, we want to talk to you about Robert, who was, who we just buried the day before. And then pull me on, and then just they just dump it on me. And and that's how it begins. That's how this, this whole, prior to that, that person wasn't even a thought in my mind. Mm. You know what I mean? I didn't, it's not something, I didn't know him, so I, I didn't, I heard about his death, but it was like, oh, okay, someone got killed, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, terrible. yeah. Yeah. But it was, it, 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 you know, not, not to be disrespectful for the family, that kind of stuff, you know, yeah, that person died and that kind of stuff, but I was okay, you know what I mean? Once he's picked up, he's taken to the police station to be interrogated. He's placed into a room and told to explain where he was on the day of the murder, a murder that had occurred six months prior. That happened in 1995, and I actually don't even, didn't even know where I was that day. I had to really kind of think back, of, because they, they came, when they charged me, it was six months after, and they told me, well... Someone said you killed somebody in '95, uh, in November of '95, and it was it was May of twenty-second uh, of uh, of '96 when they were asking me this, and I, they were like, "Where were you at?" And I was like, "Home, probably." You know what I mean? I couldn't really, I couldn't think. Well, what the hell? I mean, every day at that point was pretty much the same. You know, I, I was like, "I know I wasn't in school, but I said I was home." If it happened at, you know, they didn't even tell me the exact time when it happened, but. When I went back and when I got, when, when, when they locked my head, my lawyer's like, you need to try to, you know, whatever you got to do, try to remember where you're at, at least around that time. This situation is something that has come up in a few cases that we've discussed in this show. Most notably with Anthony Duke. He also was picked up months after the crime had been committed and was asked to recount his whereabouts on the day. Now, a number of people have questioned his confusion over this, stating that if they were up on murder charges, they'd like to think that they'd be able to remember because it was such a serious situation. I personally have the worst memory known to man. In fact, my wife's major gripe with me, there are many, but the major one is that I forget everything. So for me, this is easy to understand. There is no way on God's green earth that I would be able to remember what I did six months ago. So I wanted to put this to the test with others and see if put on the spot, they could recall where they were, and what they were doing six months ago. So I spoke with three people. Dom, my audio genius, my wife, who prides herself on her memory, and my brother, a former police officer turned security expert, to see how they would get on. Just answer this question for me as best you can. What were you doing September 13 of last year? can't remember. It's not good enough. That is not good enough. If I was to say to you, what were you doing on this date six months ago, September 13? Probably working. Um, I have no notes or any real recollection of what I was doing on the 13th of September last year, other than it being a, um, a weekday. I was likely at work to some description in London, but as to what I was doing exactly, I would not have a clue. I'll, I'll help you out. It was, a, it was a Monday. I'll help you out. It's a Monday. No idea. The, now, why I'm doing it is because this bloke that I'm talking to at the moment, he said he was pulled in six months after this crime had taken place and was told to tell them exactly where he was and what he was doing. And he's like, yeah. guys, it was six months ago. Yeah. I, how are you supposed to remember? How are you supposed to track your day? Like he needed to tell them where he was throughout the day on that date. No, I'd have to go to the calendar as a starting point. And if the calendar didn't have anything there, I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> I know how I could find out exactly what I was doing. How? Well, first of all, I'd go through my work calendar. Yeah, because this is a 15-year-old boy. He doesn't have a work calendar. 
I'd go through my social media messages. This was in 1996. No idea. No such thing as social media. So no idea if you had any meetings with anyone, you saw anyone in particular, any nothing at all about that day. I have no recollection at all of any meetings of what I was doing. If I was to try and recall it, I'd obviously go back through my emails and my diaries, probably my emails to start with because that would have given me an indication of what I was doing in and out from the inbox. You know, I'd then probably look at WhatsApp for around that date. That'd probably help me. Um, and the family calendar. We run a family diary. That could help. Um, but yeah, that's it. No other record. It's so true, <laughs> isn't it? Like, I've got no idea. I know it's the week before this show launched. I'm, I possibly would have been at the radio station because I think I was still working there at the time. So, but I don't know if I, I don't, don't oh, did I quit that work? Oh, I quit the London. See, I don't know. I don't even know. And that's a See, that's hard. a big a big moment in my life. I quit I've quit a full time job that month. I just can't remember what date it was. So. A little bit stressful. That's insanity. Who can remember what they were doing six months ago? So each person would need to turn to some form of technology, calendar, emails, social media, which is fine for an adult in the 21st century. Text messages, even. But this is a 15-year-old boy in 1996. This is how he did it. And so the way I did that was like, okay, on December 1st, my mom bought me some shoes because it was, uh, she was doing it for my birthday and that's the day she got her check. Okay, on October 31st, I went to uh, a little Halloween thing that they had at the, one of the churches. Okay, what happened after that? And then I was like, and then I remembered, oh, okay, wait. I remember uh, we went to 7-Eleven, me and like two or three of my friends, and then the store clerk there was talking about, hey, somebody had just got killed somewhere on, on this side of town by this store or whatever. And, and, and I didn't pay much attention to it. She was just like, oh, my mom, I just, my mom just called me or I just talked to my mom right now. And, and, and she just started sharing all this stuff. I didn't know her personally, but I was in the store so much that she seen me all the time. You know? yeah, she yeah. was nice to me and everything. And so we didn't really, like, I didn't talk to her a lot, you know, but it, she would see me. So she was like, oh, did you guys hear about it? And I said, no, I didn't hear anything about it. And I was like, I was like who was it? What, who was it? Or something. I said something like that. She was like, well, I don't know. My mom just said that she, the cops are there right now and all that kind of stuff. It's a small town, so that's kind of how, like, you know, things spread around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that yeah. kind of stuff. So, and I was like, oh, yeah, I just uh, didn't even pay much attention to it, you know what I mean? And I just, when me and my friends were there, was, I think it was two or three of us there, walked, we bought some burritos, and I think I bought a, a couple of pops. And that was normal. That was the routine I did almost every day. And went back to my house. And prior to that, and if I look back on prior to that, we were there, and we were, we were smoking weed, so that's why we were buying burritos. And we went and bought, and pretty much the day I was home the whole time, because I remember I had got kicked out of, I got kicked out of school because I, I got in a fight, I think. It, I think it was late October, and my dad was pissed off about it. And so he grounded me and said I couldn't really go anywhere. Uh, he would let me go to the store and stuff, but he wouldn't let me go to my friend's house or kind of leave the block. So I, I, I think I'm not positive. I might on November 14th. I might have been grounded at that time, but I'm not sure. Maybe it ended before that. But I'm positive we went to 7-Eleven. That store clerk said this kind of thing. I remember telling my lawyer that. Then he finds the store clerk and she confirms that yeah, that I remember telling you that. That that was actually the day. But that's how I came to remember that day. But I didn't, I, I didn't, it didn't come because it's just another day. I mean, it's, it's not like something special happened on that, I remember. And the day that they actually talked to me about it was May 22nd, 96. So this is six months later. Yeah. I'm like, I'm home? So Junior is being interrogated about a murder he says he knows nothing about. He's alone, scared, and says when he realizes these detectives are mean business, he breaks down. 
What made it worse is I didn't even know the person that was actually killed. You know, I mean, I I had heard of him, but I didn't know him personally. Like, you know, I mean, and I heard people talk about him here and there, that kind of stuff. And so that they were like, oh, this person, and they said his name, and I was like, well, who the hell is that? And then they said all oh, his gang name, and well, supposedly his gang name, and I was like, oh, what? What are you guys talking about? You know, I mean, I heard about that, but and and then I was like, look, I'm telling you right now, I had nothing to do with this. And at first, I'm thinking they're just making up stuff because you know that's what they did. They always stashed me up, took me to the police station and interrogated me the same exact way and it was always this, those two officers or another two. So it was almost routine. And at first I laughed. I was like, what? Who? I was like, come on, man. I mean, I, t- I told Rivard, I said, you know me my entire freaking life. Are you serious right now? And he didn't laugh. He goes, no, I'm serious. And then I got scared. I was like, oh, shoot. And he goes, and he looks at me, he goes, I told him, look, I didn't have anything to do with this. I don't know who's saying what, but I'm telling you that right now. And I'm already in tears because this is freaking me out because I can see by his demeanor, he's not playing, you know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, shoot, you know what I mean? Nah, I was like, by then, I'm in tears. And he looks at me, and he goes, I'm telling him over and over, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. You know, I'm telling you right now, you know me my entire life, I didn't do it, I'm telling you. And uh, he just didn't didn't even care. He just looked at me, and he goes, you didn't think we were ever going to catch you, huh? And I knew, I was like, shit, I'm speaking to a wall here. You have one minute remaining. And that's where we'll end it today. Coming up on our next episode, detectives have picked up Junior six months after this crime was committed. They had absolutely no leads to go on. No murder weapon was found and no key witnesses. Until, of course, the informant that we mentioned previously, who just so happens to name Junior. The bizarre circumstances in which this happened would raise more than just a few eyebrows. When I was already walking out, he just stops him out of nowhere and he just... He don't really even say nothing. He just he stopped right there. I got to take pictures of you. And I said, for what? And he just took the picture, told me to turn the side, took that picture, and then took another one. And then I felt kind of kind of weird, and he just walked away. He didn't say nothing else. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted, and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.